Peter Hernandez was born with talent. Anybody who saw him could see that. Not only did he have talent, but he had charisma and stage presence. He would light up the stage as soon as he was on it. At one point, he was the world's youngest Elvis impersonator. At four years old, he would have the jumpsuits blinged out. He would sing Heartbreak Hotel and other Elvis classics, and people would come from all around to see him perform. But his family was poor. We're not talking just didn't have all that much. We're talking one-room house kind of poor. Their house was one room with a bed in the middle of it. There was no bathroom in the house. They'd have to go outside of the house in order to use the bathroom. And Peter decided he wanted a different life for himself. So when he was 18 years old, he went to L.A., where all the stars are made. And instantly, everyone saw the talent that he had. And he was signed to a record deal. But the record deal wanted him to be the next Latino heartthrob. They wanted him to be the next Enrique Iglesias. And that just didn't really jive with him. It wasn't what he wanted to do. It wasn't the kind of music that he wanted to produce. And so after only a year, he was let go from his record deal. For the next four years, he would meet with different record companies. And every time they would try to turn him into the next Latino sensation, and every time he would say, no, thank you. He stuck to his guns, but it meant that a career in music wouldn't be a career where he would be the headliner. He would be working on other people's music, and that's what he did for the next four years, and he didn't make much money in the process. And then all of a sudden, he had an idea that in order to break the mold, he would have to change his name. And so that's exactly what he did. He changed his name. Shortly after, he landed a record deal. And the music business in the last 12 years has never been the same. Maybe you've heard of Peter Hernandez. Maybe you're one of his over 55 million monthly Spotify listeners. As Bruno Mars has gone on to sell over 130 million albums and become one of the biggest musicians in history. But it never would have happened if he didn't change his name and get a new record deal. This morning, we're going to talk about new starts. We're going to talk about fresh beginnings. I think it's a great time to do that as we've just turned the clock on a new year. And, and a lot of people make resolutions. A lot of people set goals for themselves. I know there's pushback with some people now talking about the undue stress that casting resolutions can provide. And yet, I think as with everything in life, if we do it with the proper mindset and the the proper motivation. It can be something that, that drives us. It can be something that helps us. It can be something that energizes us and pushes us. But today we're going to be talking about the biggest new start that is possible. And it's a new start that's not only available, but it's true of every single person who's made the decision to follow Jesus. We're starting something new today called Brand New, and over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to see the change that God makes in every single person who decides to follow after Him. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning in the Bible app. It's a free resource that's available in whatever app store you utilize. Just type in Bible. It'll be one of the first ones that pop up. Oftentimes, the very first one, it's the Bible app. You can download it. Once you've installed it to your device, there's a feature within the Bible app called Events. 
You can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201, and there you can follow along with us. If you have a traditional Bible with you today, we'll be in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you're streaming from home, thank you so much for joining us. The verses will be available on your screen below as we look about this idea and this concept that every single person who's made the decision to follow after God has experienced as we are all made brand new. We start this morning in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The Apostle Paul wrote his second letter to the church in Corinth, and in the midst of that second letter, we come to this verse which says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is going to be our theme verse over the next few weeks as we look at this concept of brand new. And it's something that we're going to spend a lot of time picking apart today so we understand the implications and we understand what exactly is being discussed here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And one of the very first things we see as we're analyzing this verse is the word if. This is not universal. This is not universally true of everyone. Everyone has not become a new creature. A new creature. Everyone has not become a new creation. It is not a universal truth. It's dependent upon you making a choice. It's dependent upon you making a decision. This is one of the fascinating things about God, that God in his love has given us the ability to choose whether or not we will follow after him. And make no mistake about it, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that God's heart, the heartbeat of God, is that every single one of us would make the choice to follow after him. And yet God in his love for us has given us all free will and the ability to choose whether or not we will follow after him him. If anyone is in Christ, this is not a universal truth. This is not applicable to every single person. God has given us the ability to choose. For those that have chosen to follow after Jesus, this is true in your life. For those that have not fallen, for those that have not chosen to follow after God, this is not true in your life. If anyone is in Christ, and what's fascinating about this is while it's not universal, while it's not everyone, it is open to everyone. That God's desire is that all people would follow after him. So while this is not true of everyone, this hope is available to everyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So what does it mean to be in Christ? That's something that we need to wrestle with. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to follow after Jesus, however you want to put it? What is this concept, and what does this idea mean? And it means people who are receptive to the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is this, that we have a God who loves us and who created us. And because God created us, God gets to make the rules. And God has a standard. And God is a perfect God, and he's a holy God. And so God's standard is perfection. And none of us measure up to that standard. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, if none of us measure up to that standard, then couldn't you lower the standard a little bit? It's kind of like if everybody's in class 
failing the class, you're probably thinking, well, the problem's not with the entire class of students, the problem's on the teacher. And maybe you're wondering or thinking through and processing things, and you're thinking, well, God, if you've got a standard and nobody can meet your standard, maybe the problem isn't us, maybe the problem's your standard, and maybe you should lower it a little bit. And that might be a thought process that you have, that if nobody can meet your standard, God, maybe your standard's impossible and you should lower it a little bit. The problem with that is we don't get to create God on our terms. The problem is we don't get to create God in our understanding. And if you zoom out a little bit, you might think, well, that's that's a better standard because then at least some people would meet it. Like, what if our good outweighed our bad? Or what if we did X number of good things? Then we could meet that standard. What if we just avoided some of the major things and, and then we could meet the standard? God, so just lower it a little bit. But the problem is that becomes a sliding scale. And what you might define for yourself as being enough, somebody else would define as either not being enough or being too much. God doesn't really matter because he gets to make the rules anyways, and God has said this is the way that it is. That I am holy and my standard is holiness. It's perfection. And no one measures up. And yet, in the midst of our inability to measure up to God's standard, He still loves us. He still loves us. In the same way that a parent still loves a child who disappoints them, God still loves us even though we don't measure up to his standard. Now, God's not going to lower his standard because he's holy and he's perfect. But what God chose to do was make a way that for those of us who can't measure up to the standard of perfection, we could still have a restored relationship with the Creator who loves us, even in spite of the fact that we've rebelled against Him. And so God came to this world. And Jesus, the birth that we just celebrated a little over a week ago, who was fully God, full divinity, and fully human, full humanity on display, the God-man, Jesus. He was born into this world. He lived a perfect life, meaning that standard of perfection. And then he died on the cross, and three days later he rose again from the grave. And Romans 10.9 tells us this, that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. This is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is so complex that, that we can't fully wrap our minds around it, and yet so easy to understand that children understand it. In fact, Jesus said, you must come to me like a little child. Let the little children come to me. This is an incredibly simple and yet profound truth that's available to us. That if we would confess with our mouth, if we would acknowledge the fact that we are not perfect, if we would acknowledge that there is sin, that there are mistakes, that there are regrets in our life, that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that He's eternal, that he's perfect, that he is the standard that we can't measure up to. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, recognizing the place that that God came to save us, that he was crucified, that he died, and three days later, he rose again. This is the beauty of salvation, that it is a mixture of us recognizing that we don't measure up, of us confessing to God where we aren't enough, and us believing and receiving what Jesus has done on our behalf. If you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple and yet that profound. 
So does that mean that if you repeated a prayer one time as a child because it made your parents or your Sunday school teacher or somebody else happy that, that you follow God? Is, is that what this means? I remember when I was about nine years old, I was hanging out with a friend of mine, and we were talking about spiritual things, and, and we were talking about different, different elements of, of faith in God, and I was, I was sharing with him the hope that I had in Jesus, and we were talking, and, and he, he just made the comment, well, I don't, I don't know everything about it, but I just want to go to heaven. I'm like, great, repeat this prayer after me. And then I walked him through some prayer. And he's like, okay, I'll pray it, but I don't understand it, but I just want to go to heaven. I'm like, awesome, just pray this prayer. Like it's some kind of like magic rote or, or if, some, if you recite it, you're all of a sudden in heaven. Is that what this means? Are you in Christ if you just repeated something one time, but it didn't penetrate your heart? And you just felt like it was nice words to say, and you just said it to appease someone? No. What the, what the New Testament teaches us is that following after God is a pursuit that, yes, there, there can be a moment where we make that decision, but that it must, be, it must be real, and it must be genuine, and it must be heartfelt. If anyone is in Christ, confessing, if you confess with your mouth, realizing that you don't measure up, realizing that you've made mistakes, realizing that there is sin, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that he loves you, that he's redeemed you, that he's saved you, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not enough just to say something. It's got to penetrate your heart. But if it has, if that's true of you, then you are in Christ. You are, you are in Christ. Whether you call that a Christian, a Christ follower, what, what, whatever you want to use, a Jesus follower, whatever terminology, whatever phrasing you want to use, you are in Christ. That's the terminology that's used here. If anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is incredibly hopeful for us because on one hand, you see here that the old you has died and there's a new you. And we all know that being alive is, is better than being dead. And yet, if we're honest, there's a tension for some of us who followed after God that there are parts and elements of us that we know we need to leave behind, but we don't like to whether it's because they're familiar or whether it's because they're fun, we hang on to them. And what we've been told here is that we are new. We're new, cre we're new creations, and yet we hold on sometimes to the past. And what I want to challenge you to do is look at it from just a little bit different lens as you analyze your life. A couple years ago, one of the ceiling fans in our house started to, started to break down. And we decided it was time to, to get a new fan. It happened to be in one of my son's rooms, my oldest son. And I said, all right, buddy, we're going to have to find a new fan for your room. Your fan isn't working anymore. We need to, to get a new fan installed for you. And he said, Dad, just make sure it has a remote. I'm like, well, I'm a little more concerned about color and style matching the rest of the house. He's like, I don't care about any of that, Dad. I just make sure it has a remote because his fan had a remote. 
And what could be more exciting than pushing buttons and changing the lights and changing the fan speeds? Maybe that's why the fan broke. I don't know. But he was, he was just dead set that the new fan had to have a remote. And I'm like, we'll see what we can do. But again, buddy, we're going to go with color and style over the remote feature. And we butted heads about that for a little while. But then we found, we found a fan that matched the color, it matched the style, and it had a new remote. And so we installed the new fan. We took down the old fan. I say that like it was an easy process for us. Uh, <laughs> and we were, we were getting ready. We were getting ready to, to throw away the old fan. And he said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, we're throwing away the old fan. He said, why would you throw it away? And I'm like, well, it doesn't work. And it's not an antique. So there's really no reason to hang on to it. It's, it's time for it to go out into the trash. And as, as we were doing this, he, he got up and he grabbed his remote. And he said, not the remote. And I, I went over by him and I said, hey, bud, here's the thing. That remote, that remote only works with that fan. That remote doesn't work with the new fan. And, and I showed him how I was pushing buttons on the remote. And all that was happening was a little light on the remote was lighting up, but nothing was happening on the fan. And I took the old fan out to the trash and I came back up to get the remote. It's like, we've got to hang on to the remote. I'm like, weird flex, but okay. Like, choose your battles. That's uh, small, okay. And I'm thinking a day or two, he'd hang on to this remote, and then he'd forget about it, and we could throw it away. A year and a half later, that stupid remote sits now in my younger son's room. By his bed. That remote never belonged to the fan in his room. It does nothing but occasionally when you push a button on it, light up. And that's only because the batteries in it are so old, they're starting to die. They haven't fully died yet. And when they do, we're not teaching them that you can replace batteries in a remote. We're going to actually throw the remote away. But they still hang on to the remote. You look at this and it makes no sense. It serves no purpose. But it's something that they hang on to. And I'm wondering how often in our lives are there elements of the old self, for those of us who've made the decision to follow after Jesus, do we hang on to? Not because they make sense, but because they're familiar, because they're fun. And God's calling us to something so much greater. He's calling us to something so much better. But we are not experiencing the full blessing and the full benefit of God in our lives because we're still hanging on to the old self. We're still hanging on to elements of us that we won't let go of. And God wants to fully bless us, but we just won't die to those parts of ourselves. And the truth that we need to celebrate for those of us who made the decision to follow after God is if we're in Christ, and we are, that we're a new creation. The old is worthless. The old is dead. Bury it. Realize the parts of yourself that you need to grow and you need to develop and you need to become more like Christ in. And leave those parts of you behind. Stop carrying them around with you. Because they're robbing you of something greater that God wants to do in your life. And that God wants to fulfill in you.
And yet there's still that tension within us of living in the old, even though we're new. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So how does all this happen, this incredible transformation that we've just unpacked? How does all this happen? And the answer is, it's dependent upon God. It's not dependent upon you. You can't earn your way into it. You can't do enough to deserve it. None of those things. Again, God's standard is perfection. It's pass fail. You failed. Congratulations. You don't measure up. But God measured up for you. That's the hope of the gospel, that God measures up for you. God does it. God does it, and it isn't dependent upon you. That's the hope. And Christ reconciled us. He reconciled us. And make no mistake about it, in order for there to be reconciliation, there has to be a broken relationship. There has to be a broken relationship. Our, our relationship with our Creator is broken when we rebel. Our relationship with our Creator is broken when there is sin. And that is why Jesus needed to come. He needed to come to save us, to restore that relationship with our Creator. Verse 19 goes on to say this, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, not counting our sins against us, that God offers us a clean start, that all those mistakes and all those things that haunt you in your past, God no longer sees those things when he sees you, if you've made the decision to follow Jesus. That God has forgotten all of those things in your past that you can't forget. That's the hope of the gospel. All the things that you can't forget in your past that still haunt you to this day, God has forgotten them. He's offered you a clean start. And this is something that excites us, right? This is something that we're... We're, we're excited about when we recognize all that God has done for us. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's fantastic news. This is incredible. What could be better? And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Wait, what? What? Entrusting to us the message of this reconciliation? Are you kidding me? Like, this is the most important message that the world could ever hear? This is the most important decision that any person can make in their life. The most important decision you will have to make in your life is who is Jesus. That is the most important decision you will have to make in your life. And you can decide whether or not Jesus is a historical figure, whether or not Jesus was a great philosopher, whether or not Jesus is who he claims to be, the Son of God. And if so, the implications of that, dying for our sin and raising again from the dead three days later. But the biggest decision you will ever have to make in your life is who is Jesus. And when we look at all that God has accomplished and all that God has done for us, it is just fascinating. It's something that, that we, it just blows our minds when we think of all that God offers us and all that God has done for us. And then we reach this point where he's chosen us. He's chosen you and me. With this message of reconciliation. Like, I don't know, God. I can think of a hundred better ways than idiots like me to bring about the most important message to this world. 
Like, you're God. How about you just write it in the sky in neon letters and do something miraculous and, and do something that, I mean, that would get you a lot more attention than me. Yeah, God has chosen those of us who've made the decision to follow after Jesus. To be the people who share this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Not, not only do we... Not only do we have this opportunity to share this message of reconciliation, not only do we have the opportunity to share with people what Jesus has done for us, not only do we get that chance, but now we see it's not just an opportunity, it's an obligation, that we are literally called God's ambassadors. And when you think about an ambassador, what's an ambassador do? An ambassador leaves their home country and travels to a foreign land and lives in that land as a representation of their home country to represent their home country with a foreign government, to represent their home country when the citizens of their home country are also visiting a foreign land. This is the work of an ambassador, that they are a representative of the country. And all of us can think of people that we don't want to represent our country. And depending on your politics, that's going to shape your list. But we can all think of people that we don't want to represent our country. And ideally, that's why ambassadors in our country have to be approved by Congress before they go and they serve. And here, what we are told is we not only have the opportunity to share the message of reconciliation, we not only have the opportunity to tell people about the change that Jesus has made in our lives as a result of us following him and a result of Jesus coming to die for our sins and raising again three days later. We not only have that opportunity, but it is now our obligation. It is now our obligation to do that. That we are to go and live in a foreign land. And we are to represent the hope of heaven. And you may look at this world and you may shake your head at everything that's going on. You may look at this world and say, I just, I don't feel like I belong. I don't understand what's going on. I, I just feel like a stranger in this place. And if you've made the decision to follow after Jesus in a lot of ways, you're going to feel that way. And what we're told here is don't you dare lose heart. Don't retreat. Don't hide. Don't cower. You're an ambassador. Your home is heaven. It's not this world. It's not right here. Your home is heaven, and you now have an obligation. Not just an opportunity, you now have an obligation to be an ambassador of heaven right here. And when we look at our world and we see the brokenness and we see the anger and we see the strife and we see all the tension, the opportunity for us and the obligation for those of us who've made the decision to follow after Jesus is to be the love that this world so desperately needs. To be pictures of mercy and grace. 
to disagree with people without being disagreeable. Not to shy away from the hope of heaven, but to proclaim the hope of heaven. But to do so in a gentle way, to do so in a loving way, to do so in a way that people would have to wrestle with this idea of the reconciliation that God has offered to us. That we are heaven's ambassadors. And why God would choose to use us out of everything, I can't fully explain to you. And I don't fully know. But what I do know is God in his wisdom has chosen to allow you and I the opportunity to shape this world with the message of hope. And it's not only an opportunity for us It is our obligation that we are ambassadors for Christ. And if you're like, ah, I don't know. That sounds, sounds difficult. That sounds, sounds like a heavy responsibility. Just remember what God's done for you. And this isn't some guilting I'm trying to give you. It's what 2 Corinthians 5 goes on to say in verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That God made Jesus the weight of our sins and imperfections. That all of those mistakes, all of those regrets, all of those choices that I've made that rebel against God, that don't meet God's standard, the weight of all of those things was placed not on me, but was placed on God himself and Jesus at the cross. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, so that through what Jesus does on our behalf, we can measure up to that standard that God has, that standard of perfection. And this is the hope of the gospel, that God saves us and offers us a restored relationship with Him, and that we know from Scripture we will live forever and ever with our Creator as we were originally designed to do. And we will be in heaven when we die. We will be in heaven forevermore, worshiping God in a perfect place. That's the hope of the gospel. But the hope of the gospel is not reserved just for heaven. The hope of the gospel is not reserved just for our death. That God has a purpose for us here That the purpose of saving us is not just to spend all of eternity with us. That yes, that is one of the benefits of being saved, of having a relationship with Jesus. That is definitely one of the benefits, but that's not the only benefit. And one of the aspects of the gospel is that God still cares about this world. It's the reason that the moment you make the decision to follow after Jesus, God just doesn't magically take you up to heaven. Either by killing you or teleporting you or doing something else. I don't know. He's God. He can figure it out. I don't have to figure it out. But if you've ever wondered why, God, I live in this world and there's so much confusion and there's so much chaos and there's so much anger and hate and rage and there's so many horrible things all the time. Why am I still here? The answer is because you 
have not only an opportunity, you have an obligation. And the reason that God hasn't taken you home is because He's not done working through you. So, I want to ask you a question. And then following this question are just a couple other questions that I really want you to wrestle with. But, but my question for you is, is this. If a new name and a new record label can turn Bruno Mars and Peter Hernandez into one of the biggest celebrities this world has ever seen, What can God do through you when He makes you a new creation? And now the questions that I want those of you who made the decision to follow after Jesus to really wrestle with, and this is only for those of you who've made the decision to follow after Jesus, if you haven't yet made that decision again, the greatest question you will ever have to wrestle with is before you right now. And that is, who is Jesus? But for those of us who made the decision to follow after God, I want you this week to wrestle through these next two questions. And only you can answer them. I mean, people close to you could give you some insights, but only you can answer these two questions. And the first question that I want you to wrestle with this week is this. Do you live as a new creation? Do you live as a new creation? Or are you hanging on to the old? Because it's familiar. Because it's fun. Because it's what, what's easy for you to fall back on. Do you live as a new creation? You might say, Brian, what does a new creation look like? What, is, what does that mean to live like a new creation? Well, the New Testament goes on to tell us these are some aspects, these are some markers of how our lives should look after we've made the decision to follow after Jesus. They're called the fruits of the Spirit. And what we're told is that they're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That these are the markers and these are the indicators that should be present in our lives. For those of us who follow after Jesus, our lives should be defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the question that you have to answer is, do those things define your life? Are those markers present and evident in your life? When people think of you, are those the things they think of? And nobody's going to get it right all the time. But more often than not, is that how people would describe you? And if you've made the decision to follow after God, and that's not how people describe you, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you aren't a follower of God, you aren't saved, you aren't a Christian, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't mean any of that. But what it does mean is there are some things in your life that you need to get sorted out. And there's an element of you that's already dead, but you're just dragging it around with you. And it's time to let it go. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you live like a new creation? The second question I want you to ask is this. Are you an ambassador? Are you an ambassador? And you might ask yourself, well, well how, do I, how do I do that? And the answer is this. Live and leverage the opportunities that God has given you. Live and leverage the opportunities that God has given you. Model those fruits of the Spirit that we just talked about in your marriage. Model those fruits of the Spirit that we just talked about in your home with your children. Model those fruits of the Spirit that we just talked about in your workplace. Model those fruits of the Spirit that we just talked about in your dorm room. Model those fruits of the Spirit that we just talked about. Everywhere you go. That we would be ambassadors. That we would leverage the opportunities and obligations that we have in this world to point people to Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's make sure that as people who follow after Jesus, we live as new creations and we leverage every opportunity that we have to model love, to model grace, to model mercy, to disagree without being disagreeable and to point people to Jesus in the process. God, I pray that we would be people who realize and always remember the incredible transformation that you offer to us. Not because it's something we deserve, not because it's something we've earned, not because it's something that we can achieve by doing more good than bad, but God, because you have graciously offered us a gift. Reconciliation through the work of Jesus. God, may that truth change us to the core. That we live as new. Not hanging on and holding on to things just because they're just because they're familiar, just because they're fun. But we live as you've called us to live. God, that we would take the opportunities that we have to proclaim your name bring you glory. Lord, I, I pray that you would use this place and the people of Lakeside to accomplish this in a mighty way. As you desire everyone to follow after you, God, I pray that we would love the people that we encounter well that we would leverage the opportunities that we have, that we would see we not only have an opportunity but an obligation be your ambassadors. So God, leaving the old things behind and living 
in life as you've called us to live. I pray that our love would scream the hope of your message. That we would point many to you. And you would use us for whatever reason you've chosen to do this, but that you would use us to accomplish these things for your glory. Use us in a mighty way, Jesus, we ask. In your name, amen.